pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to my podcast number 460, Receptive Language Milestones by 42 Months, brought to you by my website, Teach Me to Talk, where we're the largest provider of ASHA-approved continuing education courses for early intervention. Thank you so much for being here. If it's your first time to join me for a podcast, welcome. We want to be your main source of continuing education courses that focus solely on toddlers and preschoolers. You can purchase all our online courses when and where you need them with no annual subscriptions and no auto renews. And all courses are a la carte in our $5 CEU program. If it's not your first course, welcome back. It is always a privilege to have you join me to talk about early language development. So let's get going. Today, we're continuing our Language Milestones podcast series, and we are up to show number 11 in this 14-part series, where we are looking at all the developmental language milestones way back at about the 12-month level, all the way through 48 months. And we're getting close to that because today we're up to three and a half or 42 months. So we've been tackling these milestones in six month increments, one show for receptive language and one show for expressive language. So in this course, again, we're up to 42 months and we're looking at receptive language milestones. For therapists, if you need to purchase the CE credit for this podcast, this course, uh, look below. If you're watching here on YouTube, if you are listening on your podcast app, you can find out all this information at my website at Teach Me to Talk, and this is course number 460. Now, with the $5 CEU fee, you'll also have access to your handout, which is a wonderful tool to use for parent education, and I have so many therapists who've email me throughout this series to say how much they've appreciated uh, the handouts because they're using them for lots and lots of training for parents that they're working with and certainly preschool teachers as well. So it's a great reminder. Uh, Parents have also asked about buying the handouts and this started a couple years ago when we uh, first moved all of our podcasts to YouTube and you can have uh, purchased those handouts yourself if you are a parent or a grandparent or if you are just another professional who may not even need the CE credit but you just want the professional information presented in every everyday language to share with the clients or the families that you serve. So the handouts are a wonderful tool for that. And again, you can get uh, both links for the CE credit or to purchase the handout. Those links are below here on YouTube. All right, one more thing. If you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel already, please do that. We are so, so grateful for all your support. All right, let's begin the podcast today by reviewing the milestones list. And again, one more time, we're at receptive language by 42 months. And I'll be honest here. Most sources list uh, lots of these milestones by 48 months, and again, by the time when kids get to be about three, we no longer really break things down like we did in those nice three-month time ranges like we did all the time from infancy or birth all the way through three. And here at three, lots of sources then go ahead and start to bump on up and give milestones pardon me, in a yearly range. So what I've done for these two shows for 42 and 48 months, these last shows to finish out this series is just broken down the list. Now, if you want 
written instructions for all the things that we're going to be talking about today and want a little bit more depth than you can get here with the handout or in the podcast, let me direct you to uh, Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual, which is the source for all the things that we're talking about today. And so again, uh, these these milestones are listed between 36 months and 48 months. We've, we've looked at that year-long range uh, there in Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual. All right, so what are these milestones? Uh, first of all, demonstrates more complex prepositions. Now, we've been talking about teaching children to understand prepositions since way back again uh, there at about 9 to 12 months when they started to really begin to be able to follow some directions with some visual cues. And so now we're all the way up to where they're acquiring more mature prepositions. So we'll be talking about what those are. Today, we're going to really be looking at... the specific prepositions in front, behind, next to, and over. So that's where we are at three and a half. The next milestone is begins to comprehend more complex WH questions. And so here for this age range, we're talking about when questions. So you would ask a child when something happens and he would be able to tell you because he's understanding time concepts better why questions and that's certainly a hallmark of a three-year-old is the constant barrage of why 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 and that's such a driving force for cognition uh, for children as well so we certainly want their expressive language skills to be caught up with that and then uh, they also begin to comprehend how questions so they start to look at the sequencing or the mythology or the the again the the uh, temporal and the spatial concepts there so again you can see how these are really maturing at three and a half because all of these new language concepts uh, are begin to emerge the next one again I've already kind of talked about this they understand spatial and temporal concepts so not only we talked about time with temporal concepts and we were looking at the questions with when but now we're looking at things like first last and in the middle so we'll talk about those those concepts another thing that they understand again is understands time words and we talked about uh, when when we were looking at questions so now we're looking at the time word in addition to when we're looking at concepts like before and after so they really start to get a good idea again of the sequencing or what order things occur they also here begin to understand same versus different they understand several quantity concepts including one some rest all more and most so lots of those words that you sort of think about um, just as very very uh, general words it's not specific yet we're not saying things like seven more or a dozen more we're not looking at those kinds of uh, uh, quantity concepts yet but just those more general terms and again you might uh, have thought that a child understood more forever (laughs) because certainly since maybe even before they were 12 months old they've been signing more but again now they're going to contrast that with a concept like most and so you can see again that cognition and that receptive language is really really growing and then the last skill that we're going to talk about today is so fun it makes inferences and so some tests call this comprehends verbal reasoning and so again this is where a child begins to explain things and so this goes right along with those early concepts that earlier concepts that we reviewed in this milestones list with looking at <clears throat> uh, the when questions the the, and, and the when concepts with all these spatial temporal concepts and again it's so interesting how all of these things kind of come together with cognitively with that big jump and these are the language 
offshoots that we we get from that new cognitive development. All right, so what's going on in this age range? And if I had to summarize what happens between three and four in one word for me, it would be maturity. And so for those of you who work with older children, you might say maturity, I can't believe that. Three and four year olds, they're still so little. But for those of us who specialize in children who are in the birth to three age range, Three-year-olds are quite mature and quite complicated, right? They're, they're acquiring more and more complex language. And so again, they're now using words to define and explain other words. And so we talked about inferences today and logical reasoning. We've talked about uh, in the last uh, set of milestones, about 36 months, children begin to understand analogies. And so again, maturity is just the big uh, word here. And so uh, looking, what's our vocabulary range that we're talking about? And I mentioned this back in the previous shows with 36 months, but by 36 months, and again, this would be, you know, we're a little bit beyond that here with six more months with 42 months, but the NIH guideline or the National Institutes of Health says that by three, children with typically developing language use and understand 1,000 different words. And so again, that's amazing development for our little friends in only 36 months. And it's such a stark contrast to the children, kinds of children that we work with in early intervention and preschool programs. And even the ones who are doing exceptionally well for us, the kids that we discharge out of services, they, they, they don't move to the next level of services beyond us. We've said at, the, at whatever level we've discharged them, hey, they're caught up. Even our little guys who are doing so well that we are so just thrilled with their progress may not have nearly 1,000 words in their vocabulary. So we really, really need to think about that and keep that in mind so that we're always pushing for more and more language learning opportunities for the kids we see, even the kids that we have already let loose and, and moved on. All right, so let's move on now and talk about the specific milestones so that we get a really good grasp for this age range. The first milestone is demonstrates more complex prepositions. Now, I told you in the introduction, we talked about we have been discussing understanding prepositions and teaching toddlers to understand prepositions since back right at about 12 months old, back at show number 450 when we started this series, and they began to follow directions with visual cues like put it in or take it off those earliest prepositions. So now we're continuing to increase that complexity. And so in this age range, by 42 months, we want children to be able to demonstrate that they understand and follow directions with prepositions like in front, behind, next to, and over. And so just as a reminder, before age three, up to this point, we've talked about in and out, off and on, up and down, here and there, and then under, by, and around were the prepositions that we added at 36 months. And so now we've added uh, four new ones to that, that little uh, list, that growing list that we want our uh, little clients to have. So what do you do as a parent if you're thinking, how do I really assess this? How do I really know if my child understands this? You really can't give children credit for things that you haven't seen them do. And what, what's the danger in that? That's in overestimating their skills. And when we overestimate a skill like that, what we're really doing is cheating that child out of that opportunity to really learn it and really make sure that he's mastered that concept. And so let's talk about here again how we kind of assess 
uh, all of these language milestones that we're going to be talking about. And really, again, it's through demonstration. So if we were looking at this milestone, how do we assess if a child understands these kinds of uh, more complex prepositions? What I would do is just in a play situation, and again, you don't have to craft this. You can just do this the next time that a child is playing with whatever toys he might be playing with. Here at three and a half, his interests probably uh, have gotten a little bit more mature, and so maybe he's using some superhero characters. So what I would do is have one central object, and then you're just gonna set up maybe one of his characters. And again, you can just, you can make this, you do not have to have this where you sit down like in an assessment situation where a child is sitting at a table with you and you're looking at this. As a parent, again, you can just do this at home the, the next time he's playing with something get one central object that he's playing with and then set up three different characters, one in front, one next to, and one behind. And then you'll ask the child, you know, uh, let's say that you're playing with Batman and you've got a Batmobile there. You'll say, who's in front of the Batmobile? Who's behind the Batmobile? Now, who's next to the Batmobile? And again, you can do this with three different characters at the beginning to make sure that he really understands. Uh, and then you're gonna really know. You'll, you'll have confirmation there. And, and my point here is, we should not assume that children understand these kinds of things when there's been a history, or this kind of more complex preposition when there's been a history of a language delay. We always, always, always have to uh, really assess and really ascertain whether the child specifically understands the concepts that we're reviewing. So let's talk about early attempts for teaching these concepts. And again, let me say that if we're working with children who have a history of language delay there, so many times uh, we think they're in a preschool program now, they're, they're moving on to things that are a little bit more academic. This is the time to really bump them up a little bit and move on with with worksheets and flashcards or maybe computer games or apps or things like that. And I just wanna say that from my experience, even when children have lots and lots of interest in screens and in, in information and they you do see some evidence that they're beginning to learn that way, that is fantastic. But for teaching new concepts, it's still really probably will require real objects and practice with one new word per activity. And again, this is particularly for children with significant delays or for those children that you know their learning style is that they just require more structured teaching. And so before they can learn a new concept or something that they've really, really had difficulty with. So for example, rather than teaching uh, these specific prepositions and again in front of, next to, behind and over with lots of same objects at the same time, We'll teach one of those new concepts at a time, and we're going to teach it in multiple settings with multiple, or multiple contexts, let's say that. Multiple settings would mean as a parent, you were going to be sure that you're going to teach it in the house and outside and at McDonald's. I'm not really talking about that. I'm really talking about context. You're going to be sure that you're, you're talking about this when you're playing with toys or when you're eating a meal. You know, you've, you're sitting at the table and you've got you, the cup is in front of the child's plate and then it's next to the child's plate. And, and don't, don't do what I just did there and mix up those concepts. You really might have to teach one of those things at a time. Um, and so another fun idea is, and we've talked about this in previous shows when we've been talking about teaching all those earlier prepositions, we can continue that here with having the child be the object. And so we've talked about in previous shows how much fun it is to teach prepositions using a laundry basket. 
so that a child is in the basket and out of the basket. And so here we're going to continue with that same thing. And I just use the laundry basket as an example. You can do this with any object. I've done it with a balloon. I've done it with a spinny chair <laughs> where, again, we start out where the, chi the child may be in the chair and we're spinning around. But then you can certainly do next to, in front of, behind, uh, all those things. Play it all over, though, your home if you're a parent and listening to this show. And again, you're really digging down trying to teach these later developing prepositions. Play it all over your home. Like I said before, you can, you can play it in the backyard. You can do those kinds of things in the bathtub. Um, and uh, again, remember that we may need to pull those uh, pull those prepositions back to teaching one at a time. So one other way to, that I like to do this too is manipulating a beloved character or a doll. So lots of times we see children at three, their imaginations have certainly erupted. They're doing lots and lots of pretend play. They're even doing pretending, uh, early pretending with some of their little friends. And so they may carry around their favorite little character, a baby doll or uh, some kind of stuffed animal or something like that. And so instead of when a child is coming to see you for therapy or you're maybe still making home visits, even at three and a half, um, or, or uh, I'll tell you who, who will really benefit from a lot of these strategies are you, therapists and parents who are working with older children, even much older children, who are say seven and eight and who are still back here at this three and a half year old developmental level. And again, because we're talking about develop, a developmental level rather than a chronological level, they, because they're in this period, this manipulating that beloved character or doll, again, it's going to make this these prepositions a lot more um concrete versus abstract when they're looking at it on a worksheet or in some other kind of visual learning context that's not really tactile or not really continuing to manipulate uh, something to demonstrate that they are understanding the teaching that you're doing. So my point here is it doesn't matter what a kid's obsession is, use it <laughs> to uh, teach these prepositions or any other milestone that you're working on in therapy. So if a little girl cannot part with her new doll do not make her put that away with there, but use that to really teach what you are working on that day. And so location words and prepositions are certainly something you can do with that. And so use that character and, and put it in silly and unexpected situations. And so if you're a parent teaching uh, these new prepositions at home, you might hide that baby doll under a bowl in the kitchen or place that doll. I think kind of think about Elf on the Shelf that lots of families do at Christmas time. Uh, place that doll and or that beloved character, Spider-Man or Batman or whatever the child has, a Thomas the Train that he's obsessed with, place it in different positions, you know, throughout the day, throughout your home, something that your child can kind of even sort of anticipate, you know, what will mommy do with that? And so, oh, look, where's your Thomas? Oh, it's next to the books. Look at that. How did Thomas get next to the books? And again, because we're doing this incidental teaching or having these situations just kind of when they come up, even though you've structured that, you're using that situation again as your teaching time during that day, not necessarily uh, just that one little structured focus time we're going to work on speech. And so by introducing these more creative teaching methods, we are really ensuring that a child pays attention, that they want to participate, and it increases the likelihood that she's going to remember that goal and remember that target. So we as the adults also have to encourage that flexibility with the child. And again, setting up these situations so that they can generalize these 
uh, new, these new works that they're learning beyond one specific context. So let me say one thing. I've talked a lot about using real objects and uh, real uh, activities to teach all the skills that we've talked about in these uh, language milestones courses that we've done these last 11 shows, but by this age, at by age three, a child's comprehension skills are assessed using primarily pictures. So once that we have determined that a child really understands these kinds of prepositions in play, then we move on uh, to using uh, more visual means like pictures, like our, like our test protocols, our big manuals uh, to assess those. And even though, again, uh, we've used a lot of these these real object, real life primary uh, teach as our primary teaching method, we do need to bump it on up. But even when a child has those visual strengths and you think, oh my goodness, he loves screens. He learns everything from his iPad. We really, really need to make sure, again, that even though he's, he's pointing to those things, and this happens a lot of times with our, our little friends who are on the, on the autism spectrum, they do demonstrate some of these, uh, mastering some of these skills, but just in one specific little context. And so we have to help them, again, generalize that. And children with autism who do have those visual strengths continue to need that practice in real life scenarios so that they internalize that newly learned concept. Uh, I love, talking with parents about ideas that they can use to teach these concepts and real life activities for homework at home. And so when, and I've talked about this in a lot of previous shows, but when I'm seeing children one-on-one -on -one and working with families or even doing consultations with them, you always want to be sure that you're following up with super specific ideas that they, how they can incorporate these uh, language milestones at home. And so for, uh, goals like this when I've worked with parents in the past, you know, I've, I've written down really specific ways, you know, uh, like saying to mom, let's practice, you know, hang your jacket next to your backpack or go put your shoes behind the door. And so they have really specific ideas and they're not just left to kind of come up with, oh, what was that that I'm supposed to be working on this week? What, what did we talk about? So that you have given them again really super specific ideas tailored to what they already do in their own families again to help these concepts uh, really really be generalized by their children now if you're keeping up with your handout <laughs> the next milestone is begins to comprehend when why and how questions so children in this developmental phase begin to understand more advanced questions so in the previous developmental periods They've learned that first rung of WH questions, and we have talked about that for several shows now. We're not going to really review all that sequence because, gosh, I, I feel like I just hammered that when we uh, show, say, starting at uh, maybe uh, 30 months. We have really been talking about that this last two or three shows. So uh, go back to shows 456 and 458 if you want to get more ideas for teaching the general progression progression of understanding questions. So here, we're going to pick it up at that three and a half year level. So more complex WH questions. They've already done the what questions and they've already done the where questions. We're all the way up to when, why, and how. So when. So when we're teaching a child to understand when questions, what are we talking about here? We're talking about time. So do they understand very broad 
representations of when something happens with time. So this would be something like day versus night or something specifically uh, tied to the seasons like winter versus summer. That's how we assess these things when we're looking at children who were at three and a half. And they are going to also understand uh, well, let's just talk about the big things first, and then we'll get into the specifics. So let's talk about introducing day and night. And you certainly, as parents, have been talking about that with your children. It's time to go to bed. It's nighttime. Or, you know, we're awake. It's daytime. The sun is out. Whatever those little things that you do to differentiate day versus night and start to really use those big general markers for that you need to be sure if you're not doing that you need to be sure that you're doing that and if you are we've got to start to really link that to when and you put tying that word when with it so when it's nighttime we go to sleep when it's daytime you know whatever you want to say about that we're awake we eat we play we take a bath we go to school we blah 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 and and again the thing versus and contrast that with the things that we do at nighttime i think one of the fun ways to get this going. I bet you've already done it, but if you haven't, this game is still real fun for three and a half year olds or again for children who are even older with more significant developmental challenges and they're here at this three and a half year old range. But playing uh, go to sleep and wake up, the night night game as I call it, and I've got this in all my, uh, all my books where I'm talking about social games with Teach Me to Play With You and specifically the autism workbook and I think it's in let's talk about talking too because it's such a fun game for kids and again you get you've gotten those really earlier verbal routines established established when you're you know pretending like you're sleeping and then you're snoring and then you're counting you know one two three wake up and making that a real big deal that is again the foundation for teaching concepts for uh, time and again we're going to be talking about this not only with how to uh, how kids begin to comprehend these later developing WH questions, but we're going to talk about it with these other words in these next few goals that we're all these spatial temporal concepts that we're talking about. So again, if a child doesn't have a good understanding of that now, if there have been some cognitive gaps in here and some receptive language gaps, that's kind of a starting point if you haven't done that. And so again, if a child doesn't want to play that himself, certainly do it with the characters that we've just talked about the favorite things that he likes to play uh, so whether it's superheroes or baby dolls or american girl dolls or barbies or or paw patrol characters or whatever character or thomas the train whatever character a child is into use that and again starting with that basic uh th those basic things with day versus night and it, uh, dressing dolls for different seasons or changing weather is another way to target those twin questions and you say when you're saying oh you know it's summer it's she doesn't need a coat she's not cold those kinds of things again you know and and making it beyond that it's winter time it's cold she needs a coat you know we want to do that other end of that as well so we have to do lots and lots of teaching before we're constantly asking a child to answer when questions so a young preschooler especially those who've had a lot of language delays need time to hear and process these new and more challenging concepts before we're testing their comprehension and i think i talked about this back in show 458 or 459 but we'll talk about it again Teaching not testing is a really important part of language therapy for any child, no matter how old they get to be. And again, some of us who work in early intervention, you know, we think about our toddlers as, 
you know, again, babies when we're working with them and we know that we've got to keep all of this super concrete and very, very specific and it has to be play-based and then it has to be tied to their routine so that they're really able to understand that. And we know that it takes time for children to learn uh, these new concepts. We're not going to think that we're going to teach them how to comprehend when questions well enough to be able to answer that in one or two sessions, right? And so sometimes, again, when we get children who are a little bit older, you know, you start to feel like, you know, come on, hurry up here. But we've got to still do that foundational teaching. And again, well beyond where everything is uh, testing, where we're, and sometimes parents kind of get into this mode where their kids have been in therapy for a long, long time. And so instead of, again, trying to think, oh gosh, this is going to be weeks of me trying to work on this and, and really be sure that they're understanding these new kinds of time concepts. Uh, I'm just going to jump right in there. Uh, you know, uh, you know, when do you wear a coat? When is it time to eat? You know, wh whatever our question happens to be. And again, my point here is that we've got to do lots and lots of testing or lots and lots of teaching there. All right, let's move on and talk about why, how and why questions. And I already said in the intro, Three-year-olds are known for driving their parents crazy and maybe as their, their speech pathologist too with why and how questions, although we love that, right? And so we're looking at the receptive piece. And again, why is a child asking why or how does that work or whatever, whatever he comes up with to say that? He's asking that because he really, really is driven. He's got that internal push again to understand and be able to use words to explain the things that are happening in his life. Um, so a child has to begin to demonstrate an interest in how and why things work. And again, you might see some of this with some of our kids with language delays and they're not able to expressively ask us those questions yet, but we know that that is really coming in and we'll see their interest and see their curiosity. And I love that when that happens, you know, then we use linguistic mapping where we know he's thinking, he wants to ask me, how did this happen? Or he wants to say, why is my toy broken or why did the wheel fall off and you can see those little again wheels start to turn there uh, so you really really want to facilitate that and so curiosity is so difficult to, to teach and i know that you've probably experienced that if you've worked with older children who again are still here in this preschool range and you you uh you know, sometimes you just kind of want to reach in and, you know, pull them forward, right? Because you don't see that natural, that natural inclination to question things starting to emerge. And so what do we do? So we have to just facilitate this interest by asking and then answering those questions during play and daily routines. So, you know, why does your doggy want to eat right now? You know, if you're playing with uh, a little set of dogs there and he's pretending to make the dog eat you know and instead of all we all we've done in this time or lots of the time lot, we've spent lots of time in this toddler period just really talking about always oh, eating and maybe we've bumped it up to always oh, hungry we've used a physical state word there your doggy wants to eat because he's hungry so uh, and again now we've got to facilitate that with asking why does your doggy want to eat so that he again has has that there he's learning how to incorporate all these other concepts that that he's learning and he's learning this reasoning and again he's making these inferences and he's learning these logical questions and so uh, we want it to again be sure that when we are not seeing that happen we want to be sure that we're driving that process so we ask a lot of questions when we're in the bathtub how does that water come out why did that water start coming out you know your answer is you turn the knob right and so with these kinds of questions you are going to want to supply the answers to 
Why is your shirt dirty? How did, how did that toy get broken? How are you going to fix that toy? And again, really asking and answering these questions for a child all day long. And so remember that becoming interested in the more complex reasons something happens is our goal here. And because we're talking about receptive language, we're not necessarily talking about those answers yet. We just really want to be driving that process. And so, like I said before, in all likelihood, you're gonna need to answer the questions that you're asking there too. And so think about that. And we're still here at the level where children are talking in those shorter sentences. So be sure that you are giving an answer that a child could imitate and say as well, so why does your doggy want to eat? Because he's hungry. Uh, why is the little girl wearing her rain boots? Because it's raining outside. Uh, how? What's wrong with this toy? The wheel broke off when I crashed it into the couch. Those kinds of things, be sure that you're doing that there. Uh, and you know, answer those. So understanding all of these WH questions, uh, the previous ones with what's that or what are you doing and where questions, all the way and who questions. Now through this next level with when, why, and how questions are necessary precursors to all the upcoming receptive language skills that, that I've already already really hopefully impressed upon you how all of these skills are really uh, melded together and these are just the the language outshoots that we get from that natural cognitive maturity there so uh, be sure that you're assigning homework to parents to supplement the activities you're using in sessions at this phase again please be sure that you've reviewed that teaching not testing philosophy with parents so that again they're doing the foundational work and they're uh, understanding and explain to a mom for now that our chief goal is making sure that a child is familiar with these new concepts and begins to understand these questions when you're asking them. Requiring the correct verbal response is still not the focus until after we know that a child comprehends the questions and can give us some indication that he's becoming more curious about how things work. And again, that's what all of those why and how questions represent. It's a child's natural inclination to learn and be curious. And so uh, what's that look like? It looks like good joint attention. So we know that even if a child, again, is not able to uh, put together those more complex expressive responses yet, we just want him attending with us again, looking at the items we're discussing, even if we're doing some back and forth talking that's not necessarily answering those questions yet, but just that intense listening. That's what we wanna see at this age so that we uh, know again, that we are really, really making sure that a child understands these kinds of concepts before we expect him to use them. Our next milestone is understand spatial and temporal concepts, specifically words like first, last, and in the middle. So here's another positional or spatial concept. And also we can do it, you know, again, positioning like with objects, you know, who's first in line, who's last in line, or sequencing with time. You know, first we wash our hands and last we eat our sandwich, those kinds of things. So for children with language delays, with these more complex concepts, I sound like a broken record here, we're still gonna have to demo that with real objects before we move on to that visual information. And again, I'm talking about for this preschool age group, worksheets and 
uh, computer games or apps or those kinds of things. So any kind of strictly visual information without manipulative. Now, manipulatives. Typically, developing children do understand these kinds of concepts really well uh, by three and a half and certainly by four. And so why are these concepts critical? This is what kids use when they're, when they're starting early math when they in kindergarten and these early spatial things and so again we're building that foundation even for uh, like writing and spelling when we're looking at how concepts like first and last so we're looking at you know what letter we write first and so uh, uh, those kinds of things take those skills are all based on children being able to understand these spatial and temporal concepts so earliest sequencing strategies and this is especially for children who have difficulty relating the concepts of first in the middle and last to times or events so use toys and we're going to teach the position first so i like um trains are easy to do this and i know this is the most obvious answer but any kind of toy that's going to naturally be connected is a great way for you to teach this and i know we as slps use this example a lot when we're teaching children things like final consonants right so we use the the train example where we have the the last sound you know is the caboose and again our little friends who have language delays have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> when they don't understand these basic sequencing strategies so we have to be sure that we are teaching those things too so trains are a great way to teach this or any other any other uh, play routine where you're lining things that where children can really see that positional uh concept there where we're looking at first last and in the middle so continue to use your characters to demonstrate those events if you have your trains out there thomas is in the front james is in the middle percy's on last or whatever word uh, that you want to say there and again you can line that up with their any anything that they line up and lots of our little friends on the spectrum do that but lots of kids like to group things and we want to see them grouping things as they play so certainly as they're playing with their they're uh, Hot Wheels cars, you know, the red car is first, you know, the blue car is last, or, or uh, the green car is in the middle. Whatever concepts that you're using right there, be sure that you're using, uh, or whatever materials you're using right there, be sure that you're teaching those concepts with those. So to teach the concepts related to time, you're going to use concrete activities from the child's day that he can see, do, and remember. And so I gave you that example about, you know, when we're eating first, we wash our hands and then we eat our snack and maybe last we throw away our trash. Or things that they're seeing at school, the line leader goes first, the door holder goes last. You know, that would be a great way for you to help the preschool teacher incorporate uh, these prepositions. Uh, something like circle time. First, we get our carpet squares, then we do circle time, and then we put our carpet squares away last or at the end. And so use all of your examples related to time. Lots of times in therapy, we're using um, our visuals. So I like to use, and I've shown this in a previous uh, show, I think it's 410 maybe where we're talking about using beginning visual supports and so I like to use a, a longer poster board where we have our activities laid out and so certainly this is a wonderful way and again I'm not talking about using a little new introducing it on a new worksheet that we've never done but on something that we've already used that they've already you know maybe used for a year in therapy and we start to talk about and we've been talking about this but we're really pointing out you know we're going to do this activity first and what are we doing last today last we're doing this and again that really helps establish those 
uh, spatial and temporal concepts. Let me give you some more ideas. Other things that I have done to really teach first, middle, and last, I like to use beading activities or lacing activities. And so I have some really cool stringing sets that have uh, some uh, farm animals on them, and so you can do it with that. If little uh, girls and boys like to make a little craft project, maybe say that you're even making some little uh, bracelets that you're gonna uh, let the child take home, or any, any kind of little art activity like that that you're using with beading or lacing. So certainly, you know, talk about that with that. That's a great way to do that. For time, I like to use a child's favorite books. And again, this is really is really using kind of a visual support there where we're using first, middle, and last. So read the book and then maybe you can act out what happened first, what happened in the middle, and then what happened last. And I've done this in, again, in connection with what we've done in a therapy session that day. You can do it in a child's school day. First, he rode the bus to school, and in the middle of the day, we did these things, and then last, he rode the bus back home. And so, uh, for kids who are really visual, you might even start at this preschool phase with really, you know, taking some pictures to do some social stories, or even drawing your own version. Uh, and kids start to really be interested in drawing here between three and four. And so use that with what happened first, middle, and last. So great ways to incorporate that. Anytime you have children in a small group of three, <laughs> uh, talk with them about and really use those words. Who's going first? Who's going, who's in the middle? And who's going last or who's going next? And you can do that whether you are shooting basketballs in a little basketball hoop or going down the slide or throwing beanbags or practically any any game that you're playing or any little routine that you're doing in therapy with first, middle, and last. Now, one other song that I do with this, it's a fun activity for preschoolers, is I like the little song, Five in the Bed. Do you know that song? Let me sing it for you. But here we're gonna do three in the bed, and what I usually do is have the kids uh, you know, lie down on the floor, and you can put a blanket out or something like that. You know, you've read a book about it, or you know, maybe you've sung it a while. You've given them some context so they know what this little song is. But you do it, and again, you're, you know, who's going to roll off first, who's going to roll, who's in the middle, and then who's last. And so the little song is uh, three in the bed, and the little one said, roll over, roll over. They all rolled over, and one fell out. And so again, you've talked about, oh, the, the you're, you were first, you fell off first. And again, they're rolling off the blanket, and they think that's hysterical. And you roll them off, and then you sing it with, you know, two in the bed, and the little one said, roll over, roll over. They all rolled over, and one fell out. So who fell out? The one in the middle. Who was in the middle? And then you go on to say, who's last? Whose turn is it last? And then you sing the little song and do that. And so super, super fun way to teach that. Another thing that I've done is uh, using like a little three-step obstacle course. First, we're going to jump over the blocks. Next, we're going to go in the tunnel, and then we're going to punch the pillow or whatever you have at the end. And so preschoolers love those kinds of games. And so you have them do the obstacle course, but you're talking about it. What did you do first? You know, what was in the middle and what came last? And so really, really help them do it. And then have them watch somebody else do it. You know, have them watch you do it or watch mom do it. Or like I said, if there's another kid there. And so preschoolers love these kinds of games. And it really, really, again, it's better than 
strictly that visual learning that we try to shove kids into when they get preschool age. So we need to be sure that we're giving them lots of those real life opportunities. Now children with motor planning issues may have increased difficulty understanding these kinds of words due to their underlying deficits with sequencing multiple step actions. And so here I'm talking about our kids with global apraxia or dyspraxia or motor planning or whatever, however you want to call it. But our kids who have just those coordination problems and we see it, they also have a verbal or an oral apraxia as well. Those kids are going to naturally have some difficulty with sequencing. And so we really have to help those kids. And again, use real life activities with your visual support so that they can see and feel those different steps and not only see those things with their eyes, with those pictures that you're doing it, but with their little bodies and really experience those things. So that can help them assign meaning to those new abstract words that they're saying. And again, first, middle and last. You've got to really help them demonstrate that. All right, so I hope I've given you some great ideas with that. That's a fun, fun goal to work on. But again, like I've said now for the umpteenth time, don't stick to just visual things. You've got to give kids real life activities to learn uh, these concepts. We have one more time word focus goal here, and this is helping kids understand the words when, before, and after. So we've already started uh, that question word, when, right? We talked about it in the, con in the context of comprehending more complex questions. Now we're kind of talking about it uh, and not using it as a question word. So uh, we're gonna use these words. Well, let's talk about this first. Children with typically developing language begin to understand these kinds of time concepts by, by age four. And with these more difficult concepts, I'm going to say it again, it's usually better to teach one word at a time until the child masters each one. And so we're going to be sure that we're using a lot of these words when, before, and after at the beginnings of our directions and then emphasizing them with our voices. And we haven't really talked about this a lot in this show. We've talked about how important affect is. And again, what's affect? It's like our emotional content. It's, it's our prosody too. So how, how we use the tone of our voice to uh, help children understand words. And so again, this would be like when we're teaching before and after, we're really gonna emphasize those words. Um, and so, uh, let's talk about this. Let's use it with the, first. Let's use it with when because that's our first goal on with this milestone. So to teach a child to understand when, we're going to talk about specific times the child performs actions during his day. I started talking about this a little bit, and I, I'm glad we saved it for this specific goal. So for example, we say things like when it's time to go home, we get our backpacks and we line up, or when our hands are dirty, we need to go wash them. When we're thirsty, we need to go get a drink. And again, we're using our voices here to really emphasize that word that we're teaching. Now, like we talked about before when we were teaching when and the concept of questions, our assessment tools frequently assess uh, that a child understands the word when by using concepts like day versus night or questions related to seasons or the weather like winter versus summer. And so we're going to use these same kinds of ideas. And remember, I've said this over and over now, all these temporal spatial concepts, you know, this is because of that kind of cognitive bump and being able to understand that. And then we see all these language skills emerge. So when if you're looking for a kid, looking at a kid, you're probably not going to have a child that you're working on uh, solely begins to understand time words when, before, and after, they're also really going to be working on comprehending those uh, 
more advanced WH questions at the same time. But what I'm trying to say is you probably won't have a child who understands before and after, but he doesn't understand when those more complex questions, when, why, and how. It's all kind of related. So you're going to be working on all of these things uh, at the same time. So your previous uh, activities, like having your your uh, characters that you're using in your play routines go to sleep and wake up or do some things during the day versus some things at night uh, those are uh, again fantastic ways to start to teach these other concepts again like before and after uh, because they're all related so interject these directions in your play uh, such as before Batman leaves, he needs to give Robin a high five. Or after you put Bat Batman in the Batmobile, what do you have to do? You have to close the door. And so, again, remember here that receptive language is your focus. So, technically, there's no talking required on the child's behalf, especially if a child is having difficulty processing. And I don't think I've said this in this podcast, so let me say it. When a child is having difficulty processing language, and again, lots of times for these new higher level concepts, he can't talk for some of those children. And so when we are insisting that they not only process and learn and really make those mental connections, when we then insist that they give us a verbal response right away as our only way to measure that, sometimes we prohibit their learning or we actually you know we can even distract them with then, then the problem becomes oh we can't get the verbal response out but when the real problem really was that he didn't understand it well enough to be able to respond accurately so we have to be sure that we are leaving enough time for a child to be able to understand these kinds of concepts so before and after be sure that you're doing lots of talking about that and again you don't need specific materials to teach these things use the materials that we that you're already doing so if a child is already playing with and loving his um, you know what, whatever toy he's playing with let's say it's not even really a character let's say that he's building with tie those little cool little tiles or with Legos or something like that you can teach before and after with that you can teach when with that and so be sure that you're using a material that a child loves and an activity that he's already interested in and then um, uh, putting your uh, teaching all centered around that. Let's talk about visual supports too, because again, with like we just covered in the previous goal with first, middle, and last, and certainly with before and after, lots of times we rely on using visuals. And again, I'm talking about when you, when you have your visuals separated from your real life activity. Kids are gonna do better when, that, when your visuals are really related to something that they're doing in real life, not visuals for the sake of visuals. And again, I guess I'm really specifically talking about worksheets again, <laughs> but when you're using visuals, like we were talking about back with the board example that I gave you before, that little, uh, your out visual outline of what you're gonna do that day for that session, that really helps a child be able to see that. Uh, I do want to say another point though, we can't solely rely on those visuals too. We have to be sure that that auditory message is also getting in there. I just read some research, I think it was um, from, it's from a few years ago, but it's newer research and it said that we have to be sure that kids are changing their mental pictures with words. Again, not necessarily visuals, and visuals may not be as helpful as we would think for language therapy all the time, because uh, we may be over-relying on that, and again, not really, really. We use the visuals as a tool, 
not as our primary thing. So we always want language and want the teaching, the language concept to be our overriding theme there. And so I hope I haven't confused you. That article is at Informed SLP, so you can go find that if you if you want to take a look at that. But for here, again, like we've talked about, for all these concepts, now this is our fourth goal related to these spatial temporal concepts. We have to be sure that parents are using these kinds of words at home in their daily routines and they're helping their children, again, learn to sequence. That's this bottom line activity here, sequencing. And we as SLPs want that language component, those words like before and after, the words like first, middle, and last, or understanding when and why and how. We want all of these things, again, to be, that. that's our main goal here, is helping children really, again, solidify those language concepts and really uh, merge them with those that real life sequencing that's taking place already in their everyday lives. So encourage parents to work on these words in their daily routines at home. Give them those specific written ideas. These handouts are going to be a great tool if you're working on these with parents, again, who need some help and need some concrete ideas for how to teach these skills at home. I hope that you've given them uh, the handouts and the ideas that we've talked about today. This next skill is a big one, and speech pathologists spend lots of time working on this with our little friends who are preschoolers. And so this is understands same versus different. So by the time a child turns four, he's mastered the concepts of same and different across a variety of materials and characteristics, including color, size, and maybe comparing objects. And so learning to classify even at this really basic level is necessary, like we said before, for the development of math skills and it certainly supports his play and his more advanced language development. And so when I teach same and different, I always start kind of with match because you know we've used the word match uh, in the context of puzzles, we probably used it in the concept of teaching colors. And so here we just make sure that we are uh, then starting to really contrast. This is a match. This one is the same. Oh, but look, this one is different. And so again, I usually introduce the concept same first with match. And we've been talking about this the whole show and this whole last few shows, but let's, let's say it one more time. When you're teaching something like a concept like same versus different uh, and even our words like before versus after or even our prepositions that we were talking about in front of, next to, and behind, lots of times you need to pick one and teach one of those prepositions to mastery or one of those concepts like same to mastery and then you'll move on and teach that next new concept. And, and again, if you have worked primarily with children who have not had significant or severe language issues, you may have been able in your previous positions uh, as an older elementary school SLP or whatever you were, if you're coming to early intervention or, or newly working with children with significant and severe language issues, you have to teach one at a time. You have, and again, we've been talking about this, this whole series, and you know, don't teach off and on at the same time, let's you know teach them as two separate things. So we're, we're doing the same thing here with same and different. And so I usually, again, teach same first. You know, here are two cups. These cups are the same. Here are two cars. These cars are the same. 
These are both blue. They match. These are the same. And once a child has mastered that and he's starting to say things like match and same and really use those words and receptively, I see that he's got a good understanding of that concept, then introduce different. And so say something like these balls are the same. Uh-oh, uh-oh, but look, this one is different. And so again, you start that contrast, but don't do that immediately. Make sure that a child, again, has mastered same or match or some you know so he's got a starting point with that and so i use all kinds of things to teach this uh, i like things and we've talked about before all the games that i like to play with matching shoes and matching mittens and gloves and you know matching anything uh, socks things that come in pairs and so uh, now you can start to kind of again have some shoes again that are different that don't match some socks that are different that don't match and you've got that other word in there um, and use the child's activity preferences here. And uh, again, I think this is something that we, uh, sometimes we look for things to teach our little friends who are kind of have a little obsession. And so if we have a child who's really, really visual and he loves his magnetic letters and numbers and you're gonna play with those anyway, that would be a good way to teach same versus different. And so again, it might be, if a kid's super into letters like that, you might use Scrabble pieces or flashcards with letters or playing cards. And so again, you might think, Laura, why are you saying introduce that? You know, you ha you've been preaching the opposite message here. I'm talking about that for, again, kids that they've already demonstrated that that's their activity preference. And so great, great materials already in place for teaching same versus different. Memory games are super cheap with those little, uh, if you aren't going to put together some toy sets, let me talk about that first. I put together little toy sets for kids who are, again, having a hard time learning this. And so you put together a lot of pairs of things and then to teach for the same and then to teach different, you know, you're just going to match uh, one of one of your little sets to a different piece of that, right? Uh, but, and, and kid, kids, I, again, always start out with real objects with that, but those little memory cards, those little memory games are cheap. You can find those everywhere that have those little two matching pictures. Again, great, great way to teach uh, same and different. So uh, kids have been used to matching, and so that's a really fun thing for, to try to say, let's find some that are different. You know, show me the ones that are different. So that's a really, again, a way to teach flexibility with uh, they're thinking. So for children who are consistently having difficulty learning new concepts, instead of teaching same versus different, you may have to teach same versus not same. And for some kids I've taught match versus no match. And again, that helps them establish the concept. And then we add those specific words same versus different a little bit later. This next milestone is understand several quantity concepts. So by the time a child with typically developing language reaches three and a half to four, he understands several quantity concept words. And the ones that I gave you in the intro were one, so one, some, rest, all, more, and most. And if you are an experienced speech pathologist and have given the PLS-5 or any of those other standardized assessments, these are the words that are on there, right? When we're testing our little three and four-year-old friends. And so how do you teach these? I like teaching quantity concepts with uh, snack time or if a child loves blocks or 
older children marbles you know certainly we're not going to do that with toddlers but anything that a child again would have like a little set of that's your perfect material for teaching quantity concepts so let's just talk about it in the concept of snacks because that's how i've done it most and so using snacks that a child can claim as his or her own are helpful because they help a child what they help a child care <laughs> about what they're about to get and so when you pour 10 skittles on the table and you ask the child do you want one or do you want all of these they start to really understand those kinds of contrasts pretty easily and so and again you'll see a little child who uh may be accustomed to responding you know one or maybe one is the word he knows versus all he starts to say all or understand hey i want that bigger pile versus my one little pile over here pretty quickly and so um do it with snacks and i, I do it with any kind of snack you know potato chips or whatever a child would like you know have your group there and teach that you know do you want some chips or do you want the rest of the chips do you want, uh, you know, which, which, who has more? Who has more? Does Laura have more or do you have more? So those kinds of things, those kinds of real life learning activities. And so you may do that. You may have snack time with the kid in sessions for weeks with your primary goal, not of eating or requesting or those kinds of things, but really, really teaching these quantity concepts. A child's preferred toys are another good target. So if he has, like I said before, sets of little things. So if he has a lot of Matchbox cars or a lot of Plastic Army guys, or if a little girl has lots of little Disney princess characters, use those prized possessions for teaching quantity words. You know, you want some of these or do you want all of these? And again, you can also target the who has more um and, and and do that again and even uh, uh you know do that with yourself where you were even taking more of those so that a child really understands that and again he starts to really care about that but you've got to keep those exchanges light and fun so that a child knows that you're really teasing the one more rule if you haven't been doing that with a child and i hope that you have by the time a child is up here working uh here at the three and a half or four year old level instruct a child to complete that challenging task you know by saying oh just do it one more time one more one more and so kids that i've you know again start this early with kids way back you know even before 24 months and so uh that certainly is one way to teach that one versus you know contrasting that with other numbers uh, i've also had really good success teaching this with balls in a ball pit or with balloons one of my favorite things to do is blow up 10 balloons and then use them to talk about quantity just for you know pretty much the whole session you can certainly uh to demonstrate those quantity words having like i said 10 balloons with a big box or a hula hoop that you're you know again containing the balloons in some kind of visual way so that a kid can see it and so you're going to practice you know let's get some balloons and throw them in the hoop now let's get just one balloon out now let's dump all the balloons back in and again so kids have so much fun with this kind of thing so be sure that you're giving parents specific ideas for teaching these concepts i like to again leave that that note or talk about that you know today in therapy we worked on understanding the words one rest and all and we did this with the balloon you know we did it with balloons or we did it with balls or whatever we did it with we did it with you know whatever he brought to therapy that day and so cleanup is a great time to target these quantity concepts too so give your parents really specific examples Give them the example that you did in therapy and say, at home, you may be able to do it with these kinds of things so that you're really, really, again, giving them specific things for teaching these concepts in their child's daily routines.
Here we are at the last milestone for this age range and it's making inferences and comprehends verbal reasoning. So children at this developmental level make associations and judgments based on their prior experiences. So now they can understand statements like, we have to stay inside because it's raining or things like you're too sick you can't go to school today and so we have to again work on helping children learn to use words to explain other things that are happening and really answering questions so to assess this and let me just give you some idea if you're not a speech pathologist uh, you may not have any idea of the kinds of th the kinds of ways that we assess children with this so let me just let me tell you some examples of things that are on assessments when giving three different scenarios and pictures, a child will decide that a little boy hurt his knee by falling off the bike, not by reading books or coloring. So there might be a page on the assessment tool and the, the little boy, there's a little boy that's ridden a bike and the bike is turned over in the grass. There's been some books there, like he's read some books and then maybe there's been a picture there of him coloring with crayons. And so. The test question is, how did the little boy get hurt? And so that's what we mean by uh, makes inferences and comprehends verbal reasoning. And so other kinds of questions might be, he knows that his shoes got wet because it was raining outside, not because it looked like it was sunny and dry outside. Or a child would understand uh, the question might be something like, this little girl is hungry, so what should she do? And so the pictures there might be, you know, a picture of a sandwich or a picture of a bed, like a little girl's gonna take a nap, or a picture of a, uh, like going outside to play, so a swing or something like that. And so the little girl, you say, the little girl's hungry, what should she do? And again, the answer there is going to, the choice is eat the sandwich or whatever. And so you have to practice this new level of cognitive reasoning by giving explanations for a child's own actions. And again, this involves really talking about what you're doing all day long. So you're going to point out your own inferences and in sessions like, you are so hot. Did you just come inside from playing on the playground? Or look, your shirt is dirty. I bet you painted this morning. Or, oh no, that toy must be, that toy's broken. Someone must have thrown it or you threw it or whatever it is. So you're helping children understand that reasoning and put all of those things together. So again, how do you do this beyond talking about it all day every day in making those connections and the associations between what you see, the, the, the effects of what's happened, you kind of go back and talk about the cause, you know, why did that happen? And so you can do this in play too. You can set up these situations to explain reasons and again, work on these inferences. And so we narrate during play to help a child make a new connection, especially when the child has not been verbal enough to provide those answers for these questions. And remember what I said before, we're gonna ask the question and because we're here at the receptive language portion, we're not gonna necessarily expect a child when we're first working on this to answer the questions, we're gonna ask and answer our own questions, but you're gonna give a child, I like to, to give a child space or that pause or time in between to begin to formulate his or her own response and then provide that answer. And so you're gonna you know, say you're playing with dolls or Barbies or whatever, and you say, oh my goodness, the, the baby doll is so hungry, she's so hungry. What should we do? What should we do? And again, having the child come up with that, even if they're not 
saying, let's get a bottle or she needs a drink, even if they're reaching over non-verbally and getting that, you know that they are understanding that and they're making that connection. And so again, setting up those situations where you create problems, frankly, (laughs) in the play scenarios to give your child a way to solve those problems and a way to think about those problems and then a way eventually to verbally respond. But you do that right now. And so you say, Things like, oh, oh, feel the baby. Oh, no, the baby's coughing. (coughs) What should she do? What should mommy do? Mommy should give her some medicine or mommy should take her to the doctor, those kinds of things. Or, "Uh uh-oh, there's no milk in baby's bottle. Uh Uh-oh, there's no milk over here. What do we have to do? What should we do? How do we get some milk? And again, go to the store or tell daddy or whatever those, whatever your answer comes up to be. But again, asking those questions, setting up those problems so that a child has a way to come up with uh, those responses. One thing we haven't talked about today uh, is really introducing these kinds of concepts in early literacy activities or reading books. And so lots of times when we bump children up from books that have been primarily picture books where we've done a lot of object naming and we may have even done a lot of explaining like here's show me the one that you brush your hair with and you know identifies object by function and so she's pointing to the brush or show me what you use to stir and they're pointing to the spoon now instead of those picture books we really should be looking for books with more of a plot and so uh, even even with our picture books, we need to introduce these things. And again, can you see how all these are related? We're, we're making these inferences. What are we doing? We're going back to ask those uh, WH questions that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast today, right? The when, the why, and the how. And so instead of, uh, you know, e- even in a book, like let's say, let's take a little picture book like a spot book. Let's say that that little dog spot those books and that you're looking you're uh he he's looking for his ball that's the plot of the whole book you know you can even uh, incorporate some of these older and more advanced questions even in those simpler books but why is spot looking for the ball because it's lost you know why you know those kinds of things how will he find it he will go to a new place you know what will spot do now look somewhere else and again helping a child develop that more complex reasoning. Uh, Even in a book like Little Blue Truck, I just read this book to our grandbaby Henry the last time that I saw him and started really thinking about that and how, how we can use even those earlier books. You know, the problem in the Little Blue Truck book was that little blue truck and all his friends were scared of a storm so they were all going to the garage or the barn or some i guess it was the garage to wait it out and so that's what we do would do with that again bumping that child up to the next level talking about whatever that problem um, is in that story now let's talk about our friends with autism our friends who maybe about three and a half have been diagnosed or certainly maybe you're working on this with a child who's six or seven and is still kind of at this developmental level this is very very challenging at this phase because some children especially those with autism may not still have the receptive vocabulary to understand these complex situations and beyond that they also lack that kind of frustration tolerance and emotional maturity and certainly the flexibility so we have to give them so many opportunities to really target this kind of verbal reasoning and predicting especially when they demonstrate these real life functional difficulties with uh, you know 
things like transitions, you know, we've talked about words like before and after. Well, if you have a child who's having a lot of difficulty with transitions, not only do you, you know, again, we have to teach those concepts with, you know, we use if-then statements. If you clean up your blocks, then we can go eat your ice cream. Before we go outside, you know, you have to put on your shoes. So can you see how children are naturally going to have difficulty, again, linking meeting with these kinds of words? Uh, because of the emotional dysregulation that they've experienced. So we have to practice these things, again, in contexts that aren't as life or death <laughs> as when the child is doing it. And again, don't mistake what I'm saying here for real life teaching is still going to be the best. Children still are going to learn the most in those situations that they are in. But for some of our little friends, this this talking through these other these kinds of issues and certainly here we're talking about that higher level reasoning talking through these things in those non-emotional contexts will uh, certainly help they're going to help them work on uh, difficulty during transitions help them with unexpected schedule changes and with all those real life disappointments that we all face so lots of fun to work on this skill but the truth is it's really hard and it's certainly hard with children who again because of their sensory processing and sensory regulation differences you know have to work a long time um, to help children link meaning with those kinds of words all right that's it for today for this uh, list of receptive language milestones by 42 months if you need your CE credit for this show I hope that if you're listening on your podcast app I hope that you'll do that the next time that you are uh, able to do that and if you are watching on YouTube go get your CE credit right now if you haven't done that already uh, the best resource for teaching all the skills that we've reviewed in this language milestones podcast series is my therapy manual called teach me to talk the therapy manual and it lists all the milestones that we reviewed again in all 14 of these shows so if you are a speech pathologist this is a fantastic reference for you and if you are a parent working with the child with light on language at home this book can direct the specific how-to things that you are going to do every single day and if you are another kind of professional say a developmental interventionist or an early uh, childhood specialist and you also work on communication but you have not had the specific training that speech language pathologists have had this book will help you so i highly highly recommend that book all right uh, coming up next, we're going to have show 461, where we, we will be talking about the expressive language components for all the things that uh, we've reviewed here in this show at, with receptive language at 42 months. Thank you so, so much for being here. Like I said before, if this is your first course, we want to be your main provider for continuing education. So I hope that you'll check out our entire library of courses that teach me to talk. Right now we have more than 85 courses, so be sure to check that out. That's all for today. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and thank you so much for joining me for Teach Me to Talks podcast. Mm -hmm.